When you think of the seaside, you might think of warm sand, vast open skies, grassy dunes and waves breaking on the shore. You might not think of plant life. Yet coastal areas are often host to a whole plethora of seaside plants. Make no mistake, these are certainly tough plants, and they need to be to endure salty, sandy or windy conditions. And they're not given as much attention as their showier garden cousins, but they're still fascinating all the same. And in fact, some of them, like sea aster, offer much needed nectar to late season insects. And many of them also appear in folklore to offer protection against witches, evil spirits or fairies. So let's delve into the folklore of seaside plants in this week's episode of Fabulous Folklore. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Sedgwick, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there, and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. I do hope that you're well. I will be honest, I'm not. I've done something to my back, and because it's been really painful over the last couple of weeks, I haven't been able to walk properly, which means that my entire right leg is more or less useless. And I am going to see a physio on Monday, but to be honest with you, I'm still going to be in pain before then. So it has, of course, been a little bit more tricky to do the research for this particular episode because of the fact that I haven't been able to sit for long periods of time. So I have very much been doing this in installments. So this particular type of post has been a lot easier for that. And surprisingly, there's a lot of seaside plants, but there's not actually a huge amount of folklore associated with them. So the folklore that I do have is quite short for each plant, but I've managed to get quite a few plants in here. So without any further ado, let's just crack on, shall we? So we're going to start off with a plant called Sea Campion or Selena Uniflora. And this often grows on cliffs and among shingle. Now, these locations might explain one of its names, Dead Men's Bells. And at one stage, it was never picked or brought into the house or it would bring death with it. Now, this belief, according to the Plant Law website, might have arisen because the steep cliffs where it grew posed great dangers for children. So, yes, it would bring death in its wake. And Sea Campion was also called Witch's Thimbles and Devil's Hatties. And if you actually see what an image of it looks like, you can see where the thimble association would come from. Now, children were fond of the plant because they could turn the flowers inside out to make a ballet dancer. Others turned the flowers inside out and removed some petals and stamens to turn the flower into a washerwoman. So it's quite interesting to see how children have engaged with this plant, even if it does grow in particularly awkward places. And that's literally all I could find for Sea Campion. Gorse, on the other hand, has a little bit more. And gorse is one of those plants which really does grow in quite a lot of areas. And its botanical name is Ulex Europaeus. And it is a common site in coastal areas. But it's also quite a useful plant from a magical protection perspective. Because in the 19th century, people would actually keep gorse around their bed to ward off fairies. Others might stuff gorse up the chimney during the summer to stop magical powers from entering the home. Now, according to S. Theresa Dietz, people in Wales planted gorse hedges to ward off fairies. Now, they couldn't get between the branches, and this then made gorse a wonderful plant for protection. But despite this protective aspect, 
Others believe that both witches and fairies hid under ghosts on May Eve or April the 30th. And this could be because April the 30th has strong associations with witchcraft and evil being abroad thanks to celebrations like Valpurgisnacht. And if you are interested in Valpurgisnacht, I do have a whole bonus episode just about that for Patreon supporters at the £3.50 a month or higher tier. But back to ghosts. And in Somerset and Dorset, carrying ghosts into the house was actually a really bad omen and it meant that people would soon be carrying out a coffin. In late 19th century Cornwall, people hung ghosts over the door on May Day morning and someone in the household would try to hang a wreath of ghosts before the farmer got out of bed. And if they did this, they earned bread and cream for breakfast. And if you remember the Hawthorne episode from way back when, you'll notice that that kind of idea of gathering a plant on May Day in exchange for a reward also sort of congregates around Hawthorne as well. But where gorse is concerned, its yellow blossoms also make it quite useful in money magic. And I can only assume that's one of those things where it's like a correspondence between one thing and another. So if yellow makes you think of gold, which makes you think of money, then that's how you're going to get this associative element. But gorse is also a really unusual plant because it does bloom throughout the year, which led to an old saying, when kissing's out of fashion, gorse is out of bloom. We're going to move on to common mallow next, or Malva sylvestris, and that one grows in a whole range of conditions, including the seaside. And I've actually seen some of this growing near me, and I'm nowhere near the seaside where my house is, but that just shows you how common a common plant common mallow is. And it's also known as cheesecake, cheeses, and blue mallow. Now, its strange names come from the fact that the fruit is shaped like cheese wheels, And you can actually eat many species of malva, although I would say check which species you actually have before you eat anything. But Linda Lai notes that the leaves have more vitamin A than most vegetables do, and she actually posits that we should consider it a vegetable rather than a weed. But common mallow also had magical uses. So according to our old friend Pliny the Elder, and if you're a long-time listener, you'll know how much I love Pliny the Elder, mallow was an aphrodisiac, and it particularly stimulated women. This may go to explain why people would also weave mallow into their flower garlands and wreaths to celebrate May Day. In the past, people also used the flowers to calm eye problems, while the leaves apparently worked as a poultice to cure a sprain, particularly on horses. And there is some evidence to suggest that the Romans cultivated mallow to use it specifically in medicine, whereas nowadays it is very much considered a weed, and I was quite surprised at the number of websites I came across where people referred to it as a weed, and there's maybe two that refer to it as a wildflower, and then obviously there's all these other ones that talk about how it's edible and it's actually a really good plant to grow in your garden. So there we go. But in the Victorian language of flowers, mallow actually meant mildness, which is always worth knowing. Red valerian is another plant that will grow in seaside areas, otherwise known as Citranthus ruba. And this one is sometimes confused with valerian or valeriana officinalis. Now, red valerian isn't native to the UK, instead being introduced before the 1600s from the Mediterranean, but it is now quite a common sight around the UK. And it's a wonderful plant that provides nectar for insects until October. Now, in Dorset, people called the plant Kiss Me Quick. In Cornwall, its name was Padstow Pride, while in North Wales, it went by the name Cherry Noses. And it is also called Devil's Beard, Jupiter's Beard and Fox's Brush. It's a really, really vivid red plant as well, so it's definitely quite nice if you come across it. Now, according to Margaret Baker, it worked to deter witches, attract love and act as an aphrodisiac. And that's basically all there is about red valerian, because the problem that you have when you look up valerian is you end up getting like actual valerian, not red valerian, and they are two different plants. So we're going to move swiftly on to the sea aster, 
or Astatropolium. And this one flowers from July until October. So they are sometimes known as Michaelmas daisies. And because they've got such a long flowering time, they're really useful for butterflies like the Red Admiral that appear later in the summer. In Dorset and Somerset, the sea aster is actually known as Summer's Farewell. And part of this is because of the fact that it essentially flowers like one summer has well and truly gone. While many varieties of aster actually come from America, the sea aster is a native to British coasts, and they do favour salt marshes, cliffs and estuaries. Now, according to Estereza Dietz, you could actually carry aster to bring love into your life, and if you grew it in your garden, that would invite love into your life as well. But at the same time, it could also ward off evil spirits. So this is just another good example of a plant that essentially does double duty, where it wards off the stuff that you don't want, and it welcomes in the stuff that you do want. Some of the plant's symbolic meanings included daintiness, elegance, I partake your sentiments, love and wisdom. And we're going to move on to another plant with C in the title, which is Sea Holly, which is an absolute favourite of mine. And the Sea Holly is also known as Eringia maritimum, and it's fond of sandy shores and dunes. But according to folklore, this plant has a strange power over goats, because any goat that eats Sea Holly will suddenly come to a halt, and it will then bring its whole herd to a stop. How anyone discovered this, I don't know, but it's worth knowing. And in Elizabethan England, people actually used the flowers as an aphrodisiac, and even Shakespeare noted this use in The Merry Wives of Windsor. This may also explain the belief that you can actually stop a lover from straying by using sea holly. People would also pulp the roots and then coat them with sugar to sell them as sweets as well, although I'm not necessarily sure I would recommend doing that now. Sea holly, however, is also a really useful plant to carry because it acted as a good luck charm if you were travelling and it would also keep you safe. And furthermore, you could also use it to bring peace during an argument by scattering it between the angry people and thus the argument would end. We're going to move on from there to sea buckthorn and this plant is otherwise known as seaberry, sallowthorn and sandthorn and it does grow in a range of locations across the world but in Western Europe it usually grows on sea coasts, hence the name. And ultimately what happens is salt spray kills off larger plants so the sea buckthorn has less competition for resources. Now its botanical name, Hippophearamnoides, comes from hippo meaning horse and phaos or to shine. And people essentially noticed that horses that ate sea buckthorn leaves gained a really shiny coat. And this perhaps explains the wonderful belief that sea buckthorn was actually Pegasus's favourite food. Pegasus obviously being the winged horse of Greek mythology who sprang from the neck of Medusa after she was beheaded by Perseus. Now, sea buckthorn was believed to treat exhaustion, and this is hardly surprising because the berries apparently contain 10 times more vitamin C than lemons do. And people also believed that it could speed wound healing when applied to the skin. And if you Google sea buckthorn, there are so many different things that people use it for. And there isn't yet any clinical evidence that it's actually effective, but people do report anecdotally that it works. But as with anything like this, always check what you're doing before you ingest anything and like I always recommend if you do want to learn about herbalism then I do recommend learning from someone who knows what they're doing which is why I always recommend doing one of the courses by Rowan and Sage. And for our last plant we're not actually looking at a plant but rather a form of algae and yes that's right we're looking at seaweed because it's so synonymous with the seaside that I felt I had to include it even if it wasn't technically a form of plant. Now seaweed is incredibly nutritious with larva or porphyra dioica being a popular food source in Wales since the 1600s. That said, many chose not to gather seaweed on Sundays or holy days. 
people in Cornish and Devon fishing villages actually kept dried seaweed on the mantelpiece as a fire charm, where they called it ladies' trees. And in Wales, people hung seaweed in the kitchen to ward off evil spirits. Now, people would also hang up seaweed to predict the weather, depending on how dry or damp it was. And in a similar vein, in Wales, people would hang up a piece of seaweed and a row of pine cones. So if the seaweed started making popping noises, then it meant that excellent weather was coming. If the fir cones opened, it meant that warm weather was on the way. But if they closed, it meant that rain was coming. And this particular piece of folklore does actually have a root in fact, because seaweed will stay dry on a good day, but then it becomes wet because of atmospheric humidity. And that's how you know that a storm's coming. So it is a pretty good predictor of the weather. According to Fez Inkright, toothed rack or Fucus serratus and bladder rack or Fucus fasciculosis are apparently two of the best varieties of seaweed for doing this particular form of prediction. Other people thought that if you kept seaweed in the house, it meant that you would never lack friends, which I think is lovely. Obviously, I would say probably leave the seaweed where you find it, but there you go. So ultimately, what do we actually make of these seaside plants? Well, like I said in the intro, these seaside plants don't have the same amount of folklore as other plants that I've featured. So herbs like parsley and rosemary ultimately sustain their own episodes. And I think possibly what might be the problem is the location of some of these plants in coastal areas does make them less accessible than other plants. Or, of course, perhaps the people who actually collected plant folklore focused on those plants that they might find in gardens or floral bouquets. But to be honest with you, if that is the case, then they have overlooked some incredibly versatile and pretty plants. So the next time that you take a walk near the coast, do keep your eye out for the plants that you might see along the way. They could be lurking along the edges of paths, in clumps near the dunes, or even poking through the gravel in a car park. Do let me know what you come across and, of course, if there's any folklore attached to other plants which grow near you. As always, you can always leave a comment on the YouTube video or you can also leave a comment for the blog post that this episode is attached to and the link for that is in the show notes below. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode on the folklore of seaside plants. I also hope that you've enjoyed this folklore of the sea theme as well for September. In October, we are going into Halloween month because that's like the law on fabulous folklore. So I'm going to have a whole grab bag of things that are a bit weird, a bit macabre, a bit scary, probably a bit ghostly because let's be honest, it is me. There are going to be a couple of cool interview based episodes as well. So do watch out for those as well. And without any further ado, I do hope that you are well. I do hope that you have a marvellous October and I do hope that you come back next week to hang out with me again. So without any further ado, cheerio. Well, thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts because that helps other people find the show too. It also takes between four and six hours to research, write, record and edit these episodes. So if you want to help support my time in doing that, then you can buy me a coffee or you can join the Fabulous Folklore family on Patreon and enjoy extra benefits, including exclusive episodes and articles and even illustrated talks. All the links you need are below and thanks in advance.